Who did the Messiah have beef with? If you would have asked me the same question a few years ago, I believe I would have said that he had the biggest beef, the biggest problem with the Roman authorities. I used to watch more movies about the life of Jesus than actually read about his life through the scriptures. It is not like I did not read the Bible, but I think that I read it with glasses of preconceived notions. These preconceived notions came from watching the movies, from not reading the Bible in a contextual manner, and from secondhand account from contemporary leaders. I never just sat down and tried to read the scriptures on my own or try to understand it without these preconceived notions. But I finally did, and I was surprised. Who did he really have issues with? It was so impactful to watch the movies about the life of Jesus as it culminated with the crucifixion. Seeing the Roman soldiers hammer the nails as they pierced his hands and feet was a scene that is not easily forgotten. My lack of reading the scriptures in detail and not reading them, like I said, in a contextual way, led me to believe by watching movies that the Messiah's true enemy was the Roman authorities. Now, I'm not saying that he did not have any issues at all with the Roman Empire. But as I read the words of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it seems clear to me that Jesus' primary concern was not the Roman Empire. His main concern has been, and always will be, his people. Now, this should not be a surprise to us, right? Just like an earthly father is primarily concerned with his own children instead of the neighbor's children, that same way our heavenly father is more concerned of his children than others. We may ask, but are we not all his children? And I will agree that we are all God's children, but some of us have rejected him and have not abide by his ways. A group of us have only a lukewarm relationship with him, and a few of us have decided to walk in his ways. A few of us have decided to walk this straight and narrow path. That is not to say that he has forgotten the ones that have gone astray. We see this in Luke chapter 15, verse 4. Quote, What men of you, Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? End quote. Like the good shepherd, he goes after the lost sheep. But once that lost sheep no longer recognizes the void of his shepherd, it becomes harder to come back to him. I should know. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, that he was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. If he only came for Israel, then it makes sense to me that he would not be spending any effort on anyone else. To my understanding, one of the reasons that Jesus was not accepted as the Messiah by his people is because they were expecting a liberating Messiah. 
The Romans had control of Judea during Jesus' time, and they were oppressing Israel. The Israelites were looking for a fighting liberator to free them from the bondage of the Romans. But our Heavenly Father knew better. I believe God knew that if He liberated the Israelites from the hands of the Romans, that they would eventually just go back into bondage. Why? Well, the whole reason they were in bondage to begin with was because Israel had, was having, and is still having a sin issue. The Creator allowed Israel to go into bondage because they rejected the ways of their Heavenly Father. And they went after the ways of the nations. The Israelites keep being taken over by multiple empires throughout their history. And like I mentioned, by the time Jesus comes into the picture, the Romans are in charge. So, our Heavenly Father knew that first he had to deal with the hard sin issue of Israel before the physical bondage. The way the Romans handled the Israelites was by allowing them a kind of like self-autonomy if they did not forget who their ruler was. They were allowed to worship and keep their customs to a certain extent. They placed Herod in power of Galilee, and he came from a family of Jewish converts. He worked with the Jewish priests to keep it in order, so he could keep the Roman Empire happy, and this way, he could keep his position of power. We see this in the book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there's some difficult words here, so, you know, cut me some slag if I just murder the words, okay? All right, here we go. Quote, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euteria, and of the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. End quote. So, when you see the antagonist in the story of Jesus, you do not see Jesus dealing much with Herod. You do see Jesus having an impactful scene with Pilate, but most of the bumping heads he had was with the priesthood, specifically the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These two sects were the most powerful ones during this time, and they had their own interests at hand, and not the interest of God's people. They were also holding the Israelites in bondage in their own way. They had to keep the Romans happy, and if the Romans were happy, the priesthood could keep their power. So, when Jesus comes along to debunk their traditions that were being used to keep their power, they knew they were in trouble. And they tried to find ways to get Jesus in trouble with the Roman authorities. One way that the priesthood was looking to get the Messiah in trouble was when in Luke chapter 20 verses 10 through 25, 
he is asked, quote, Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies, who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. End quote. And mic drop, right? Jesus knew that his people was being oppressed by the Romans, but he stuck to his mission of first guiding his people in the right direction. This will not be the only time he will be tested by the priesthood. Not only were they trying to get him in trouble with the Roman law, i.e. the paying of Roman taxes, but they were also trying to get him to, to break God's law as well. Let us look at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Quote, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the men replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. End quote. You see, they were accusing the Messiah of teaching against the word of God. But he never did. Jesus, and this may come to a surprise to some people, but he wasn't teaching anything different. He could not teach anything different because then, and only then, he could be accused of breaking God's law. This is part of a commandment we see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Quote, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. End quote. So where did Yeshua, Jesus' name in Hebrew, did he get this from? 
It is clearly stated in what we call the Old Testament, but what was known back then and still now as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This comes straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. We see repeatedly in the scriptures the Messiah get into these conflicts with the priesthood. Like I mentioned earlier, the priesthood was subjecting their own people to these man-made traditions and putting a heavy yoke weight upon them and that is how they kept them in control. Let us look at Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 13. Now I'm going to read all of it so just Bear with me, okay? Okay, here we go. Quote, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus and saw that some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God and observe in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. End quote. We see in these verses two scenarios where the priesthood is placing their traditions first before the commandments of God. Now, one can argue that it is better to eat with clean hands. But I think that we can all agree that it is not a sin to eat with dirty hands. Yet the priesthood was giving them a hard time because his disciples were not following the traditions of washing their hands and utensils in a ceremonial manner. These are traditions of man and not commandments of God, as the Messiah already stated. The second scenario points a tradition that nullifies a commandment of God. The priesthood is saying that if you give something of value to God, 
but in this case, they probably mean them, the priesthood, that you no longer must help your father and mother. Thus, there being no need to honor them. Repeatedly, you will see situations where the priesthood is in constant conflict with the master, Messiah himself. And the conflict of it all is because the priesthood was placing their traditions above the commandments of God and making the people abide by them. Final thoughts. There's nothing wrong with traditions. I have my own traditions. I like to eat a specific meal every single Friday night. I've been doing it for a while and I don't get tired of it. I bless the meal and we kick off the weekend. But I do not get bent out of shape if I don't eat that specific meal. I also think it's a great custom to pray before a meal. I mean, Jesus did it himself, you know, to thank God for his bountiful blessings. But I don't stress. I don't stress if I'm in a rush and just shove some food in my mouth before heading out the door and do not happen to pray. It is not a sin. I'm not breaking any commandments and I do not force anyone to follow my traditions. Have we fallen victim to man-made traditions? If we have, I pray that our Heavenly Father, through His Word made flesh, the Messiah, give us wisdom and understanding to know which ones they are and that He gives us the strength to break these man-made strongholds. Until next time.